Well, this uh, autumn we've been doing a, a series which we've loosely called Voices for a number of reasons. And uh, we, we began in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and we said that there were a number of voices at the beginning of that, uh, that, that memoir, as it were, and uh, there were prophetic voices, and there was John the Baptist, there was a whole load of stuff going on, and then in the midst of it all walks Jesus. And Jesus, his message is this, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the gospel, the good news. And we said, okay, well, there's lots of voices around at the moment. There's many experts, many people voicing opinions about life and the state of the nation and the state of Europe and the state of the world. And there's this expert and that expert. And as I heard one person say, I think on question time yesterday, actually, the truth is that nobody knows anything about anything, which I thought was quite refreshing, you know. And, um, but at times like this, we as followers of Jesus who are of this kingdom, of this world, but not of this world, we need to get very clear in our own mind what the good news is. And so we have spent much of this autumn looking at that. And some of it's been tough stuff, I know. I mean, Dennis last week preached uh, an absolute blinder. If you didn't hear that message, listen to it on the, you know, go, go to the church website and there's a, go into media and it says Sunday Talks and you can listen to Dennis's message and he talked about the wrath of God and we dealt with some, some really kind of tough things and, and, and actually uh, it, it's important that we do that and that we did that and, and the reason being is that we need to know, you know where we are so that we can find out how to get where we've got to go. I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a moment but anyway, let's just read the word of God now. Today I'm going to look at Colossians chapter 1. Verses 1 to 23. And you know what? I'm going to do something a little unusual. I hope you don't find it too religious or spooky or whatever. But in honor of God's word, why don't we all just stand while I read this? So would you mind standing, please? And I feel it's going to come up on the screen. You can follow it on that. I'll read it. Feel free to follow it in your Bible or Blackberry or iPod or Pad or whatever. But let's just acknowledge that God's word is living and in our midst as we read this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. 
for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. A couple of weeks ago, Fliss and I went down to London for the day and just had a day off and we said, let's go and do some Christmas shopping before it gets completely crazy. And I don't know that we actually did much Christmas shopping, but we had a lovely day. We went to a show, we had a meal out, it was just a, a lovely time together and a beautiful sunny day as well. And, and we went down to Covent Garden, a favorite place and a magnet for many visitors. And I don't know if you've been down there recently. If you do go down to London, it's one of the things that's worth taking a look at at the moment. It's very pretty and Christmassy. But there's also a nativity um, display. And uh, it's free to get in. And um, when you get in there, they have a video presentation by Martha Fiennes and uh, some very funky kind of atmospheric ambient music. And we sat there for at least 20 minutes and did not see the sort of story repeating itself. And it's basically just Mary sat nursing a child and then there's Joseph and then a dog comes in and then there's three shepherds and there's some angels and then there's, it's just a whole load of characters keep moving in and out. There's no dialogue. But it's absolutely intriguing. And there's some very good theology in it as well. There's also some stuff that makes you wonder and you think, I'll have to think about that one. But actually, you know, that's so good about the whole Christmas story. It should make us wonder. And that's why it's such a great time to invite your friends along to church. Because, you know, there is an element of wonder about the whole Christmas story. And it should, it should begin to raise questions and what have you. And so anyway, we sat there and enjoyed that. After that, we had a coffee or something. We walked up into the Seven Dials area just north of the, the garden there. And, and I'm not so familiar with that area. And at one point, I was, wasn't quite sure whether I was going the right way. There's lots of little independent traders. It's quite a kind of funky, cool place to be. And we got out the, the iPhones to get the little sort of wander walker thing. And then suddenly I saw this, this board, and it was a map. And it had all the sort of shops and orientation. And, and we went up to the map, and of course we did what everybody else does. We looked for the, where are we? You are here. You are here. Because, you know, there's no point in looking at a map. It's meaningless if you don't know where you are on the map. And so we found this little spot. You are here. And really, in, in, in many a way, what we've been doing over the last, you know, 12 weeks or whatever it is we've been doing, it is actually asking that question, you know, where are we? Where are we before God? Not just who are we, but 
where are we? And we've been able to use the scriptures to say, you are here. You are here. And Paul picks up that theme at the, the end of this passage. And it's, it's, uh, he, he says, you know, once you were alienated from God, once you were enemies from God, and, you know, that's quite, quite strong language, isn't it, you know? And over the last few weeks, we, we've taught a bit about sin, and we've named some sin. You know, we, we've talked about adultery. We've talked about unforgiveness. You know, we've talked about other issues. We've talked about some of the noughties. And this Sunday, I thought I was going to sort of finish that series by talking about dead works. I'm not going to major on that now. But I will just pause to say this. When we're looking at the you are here bit... We need to take into account what the Bible calls dead works. You see, when Jesus came preaching to the, predominantly to Jews, you know, it wasn't so much that the naughty sins that we may have mentioned over the last few weeks, it was actually this thing called self-righteousness. It was this thing that the Bible calls dead works. It's this thing that creeps in upon me and creeps upon all, uh, all of us, which says, you know, you know, I'm a nice person. You know, I, I'm trying to be a good neighbour. You know, I, I don't nick pencils and paper from the office, and you know, I pay my taxes, and I, I come along to church, and I serve once a month, and I, I give my tithe, and you know, and I'm, I'm you know, you know, I, I'm doing okay. It, this is insidious. It's, it's something that I it works on me, and, and and I dare say works on you too. But the danger of it is, is not that it's wrong doing that. In fact, we must do that. That's actually, should, it should be something we do. And, and it should be do, something we do as a response to the, the grace of God, the gift of God. You know, when, we, when we begin to understand quite what it is that God has done for us, it should make us wonder and say, what can I do to help? This is amazing. But what tends to happen, and was certainly happening in Jesus' day, People were going around saying, well, I may, not be, uh, you know, I may not be Mother Teresa, but I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm doing fairly well, actually. You know, I'm faithful to my wife, I, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Fill in the blanks. And so Jesus came to a nation that was actually puffed up by self-righteousness and saying, Look, what you are doing is actually saying, I deserve to go to heaven. I'm not a horrible person. You know, there should be a place for me because you know, I love God, I worship, and I'm doing my best. And there's a kind of a, yeah, I, I'm all right. You all right? I'm all right. Yeah, all right? Yeah, I'm all right. You know? And it creeps in. And we, we don't have the sort of religious structure that the Jewish nation, but it creeps in, in places like St. Albans into the church. And so, so the last thing I would have said if I was majoring on this in terms of that you are here, this is where we start from, would be to say, yeah, repent of your sins. If, you're, you know, if God convicts you of sin, turn away from it, walk away from it, flee sin. It's serious. Jesus said, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's that radical. It's that serious. Sin is serious. But also watch out for this dead works thing because it alienates us from God. It makes us his enemy. So anyway, you are here. But in this passage... This passage, we're actually moving on a little bit. Paul is in prison. He's heard about the church at Colossae. And he's absolutely thrilled by what he's heard. He's thrilled for a number of reasons, and we're going to look at one or two of them in just a moment. But, but one of the things that really is warming the cockles of his heart is the fact that actually he, he didn't plant this church. 
Now, Paul, as many of you will know, was, was the apostle, the, the, the sort of head honcho, in the mission to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. He was appointed by Christ to do that. And the church respected and honored and acknowledged that. And so Paul was out there. You know, many of the churches in what they used to call Asia Minor, that's, you know, Turkey and all around that, were planted by him. You know, he was responsible. He did it personally. Turned up one day, preached, you know, went through a few hard yards, got a little church established, blessed them, laid hands on one or two elders, and then went off to do the next one. But this was, this was fabulous, Cole, say, because it sounded like there's a really happening church there, and he has nothing to do with it. He is thrilled to bits, because one of his disciples, Epaphras, is the guy who started that. So, boy, if anyone who's in the mentoring business, training business, coaching business, you'll know what I mean. The best bit of news you can have is that one of your disciples, let's call them that, is going on and doing it. And he's in prison, he's a bit down in the dumps maybe, and suddenly he hears about this fabulous, fabulous. And he says, I am so thrilled that the gospel has taken root in you, but what's more is showing fruit in you. It's not just taken root, it's bearing fruit. And he goes on to say, he says, and this same gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. All over the world. 3.6, chapter 1, 3.6 says this. All over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. He is excited about that. And, and, and he alludes to the fact that the gospel, the good news about Christ, about who we are, where we are, and who he is, and where he wants us to be, and where he's taking us, this good news of, of free forgiveness, of deliverance, of, of sonship, of being welcomed home into God's presence, spotless, clean, redeemed, saved, rescued, Standing there before God, not in shame and chains, but as sons and daughters. This is incredible stuff. And the more we understand who we are, the more we realize how wonderful this gospel is. And he's saying this gospel seems to have a, a life of its own. And of course it does, because the Holy Spirit is breathed on it. And it's, it's born fruit in you. You know, we have to remind ourselves sometimes that although the church in England may be struggling, the church in Europe may be struggling, it's not struggling everywhere. There are 2.2 billion Christians, last count, and I'm glad I didn't have that job, 2.2 billion Christians in the world. It's the largest world religion. The next closest, won't surprise you, is Islam, about 1.6 billion adherents. Now, some of those adherents, some of those Christians may be sort of you know, nominal. Some of them will be absolutely on fire. If you're in South America, the, the, the church there is absolutely on fire. If you're in China, the church is absolutely on fire. They're in full-blown revival now. And the authorities that tried to crush them, the, the authorities that, that actually imprisoned and, and tortured, and in some cases even killed Christian pastors during years of repression, are now blessing and augmenting and, and encouraging Christian religion because they see it has a very good socially adhesive and, and, and helpful dynamic. Things are changing. You know, this church this is growing and it's growing because the gospel, which is the word of life from, centered on Christ himself, is growing. It's wonderful. 
Abraham Lincoln said, if you laid every Christian who was in church on a Sunday morning down on the ground, they would be a lot more comfortable. That's what he said. He was actually talking about preachers, boring preachers. So they ought to lay them down, they'd be a lot more comfortable. <laughs> so don't fall asleep while I'm preaching, will you? <laughs> so he is, he's rejoicing in this. He's rejoicing in this. And, and what Paul looks for, he has a little kind of litmus test, I think that's the word. There's something he is looking for. When he hears about his own churches, when people come back and say, oh, by the way, I was over in Philippi, or by the way, I was, you know, whatever, in Ephesus, and I saw the church there, and he said, well, how's it doing? What's happening there? And what he was listening for, the hallmark, that's a better word, the hallmark of, of what he was listening for as an indicator of whether the, whether the gospel has taken fruit was, is uh, is the church growing? Is the gospel bearing fruit? And the acid test was, is there love in the spirit? Do you go into that place and do you feel welcome? Do you go into that place and, uh, and are there people there who are, as we're praying in our watchman ministry, people who are learning to love one another? The hallmark of the Christian church, whatever culture it is in, is that people are learning to love one another, that there is this sense that love is in the ascendancy. And so when he hears that the church of Colossae has this love in the spirit, as he puts it, he is thrilled to bits. It's authentic. It's the real deal. And then he goes on to preach and teach and affirm their faith, their hope, Yes, and their love. Those three things, and that, that some of you will know, he teaches at length on in, in Romans as well. These are, these are the things he's looking for. Is there love in the spirit? And are they working out, exercising faith? Are they risk takers? You know, are, do they have the hope of eternity? Have they grasped the incredible where we're going to? Forget about where we are, but this incredible inheritance. We had a prophetic word about it, didn't we, during the, the worship just... Have they grasped the, you know, this, the wonders that God has in mind for us? Is that something that is, is, is actually permeating the way they do life, this sense of being heaven-bound, kingdom-centered, Christ-followers? So these are the sort of things that he's excited about. He doesn't know it firsthand, he's just got it second, and he is thrilled to bits. Now, I'm just going to sort of pause mid-flow here just to say something in parenthesis. This series has been called Voices. And during that first week, you know, we actually looked at some of the other voices that we, we read about in Mark chapter 1. There's Jesus. I've already talked about that, this clarion call. But there's also a number of other voices. There's the prophet and there's, you know, there's, there's John the Baptist. Even God shows up and says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, there's, there's so many voices going on. But today, you and I are sat here because of voices, not little voices in your head, I hasten to add, you are sat here because people have spoken the name of Jesus. Since the, 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 the early days of the church, people, ordinary men and women like you and me, not the great heroes of the faith of which, thank God, there are many, but you don't grow a movement of 2.2 billion people with one Isaiah and one Paul the Apostle and, and one John the Baptist. It grows because ordinary men and women like you, who have been touched by the love of God, you may not feel you know it all yet, join the club, I certainly don't know it all yet, 
but you have voiced an invitation. You have voiced, in some cases, a little bit of information. You have voiced an experience that you've had. You maybe still be wondering about it. Some encounter with Christ, some revelation you've had, but you've not been silent. And the reason we are here this morning, as they are churches all over the world, are because previous generations have not stayed silent. So I ask you, most seriously, I'm not just doing Richard's plug as, as an extra job. Who are you going to speak to? You know, who are you going to invite to one of our Christmas events? There's a whole host of them there. Some things will not suit some people, but other things will. You know, we've got to break out of our, our reserve. We've got to break out of our fear, and we've got to get to that point where we, we actually pray for and invite our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues into that place where they can begin to wonder, where they can begin to be intrigued, where they can begin a journey. And if you say nothing, then they'll hear nothing, and God knows what might happen then. So this is a time when this voice doesn't need to just come clearly to us, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. It's something that we need to pass on. Voices, our voices, our voices speaking to those who as yet don't know what you know. And that's a wonderful and exciting thing. So let's press on. So Paul, he's excited. He's in prison. This has made his day. He's heard about Colossae. He then goes on, for this reason... I've not stopped praying for you. I'm, I'm just so, it's, you know, this is good work. This is not hopeless. I'm so thrilled with what's going on here. For this reason, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And typically for Paul, he, there are, just as there are a number of things he looks for in new churches, there are a number of things he's always praying for. The Ephesians prayer in, in Ephesians 1 and 3 are very similar to this prayer. He prays for the church. Uh, very briefly, he prays that they might grow in knowledge. He prays, uh, not just in, in, in Wikipedia knowledge, in an encyclopedia, but, but, but in experience and wisdom and insight that you might begin, you know, the penny might begin to drop at just how extraordinary and how amazing is this gospel, this good news, this, this thing that God has done for you, taking you from the you are here place to the the, the place in heaven where he, he wants us to be. So he says, you know, I pray that you might grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding. He prays that they might be strengthened in power. Something that the church in the 21st century in the West is beginning to rediscover, thank God, is that this is a gospel of power. It has life. The Holy Spirit moves upon this, this, this gospel. And that we can expect God to do what we call signs and wonders, what the scripture calls signs and wonders. In Hebrews, it doesn't talk so much about healings or miracles, although they are mentioned. He talks about signs and wonders, these supernatural events. You know, I got you all to place a hand on part of your body if you're sick. You know, we can expect God to move. And, and many hands went up when I said, who, who do you, who, how many of you here sense that God might have actually shown up and touched you in some way this morning? Our hands went up. You know, it's more than just information. This is not a lecture. It may seem like a lecture. But it's, it's more than that. 
we are referring to, we are in, engaging with the Holy Spirit, and there is, where the God is, there is power. If you sense his presence, there is power. And we're beginning to rediscover that. This gospel is a gospel of power. And Paul says, I'm praying for you guys that you might be strengthened to know this, and to believe this, and to have faith in this. That these aren't just idle words. This is a gospel of power. And the third thing he says, yes, that they might bear fruit, and I've already spent time talking about that. But the, the, finally he says, and it's almost a crescendo of his prayer, and this again is one of Paul's great themes. He says that you might be thankful. You might be thankful. And actually, in my view, and I'm sure I would just be simply agreeing with Paul here, but one of the great hallmarks of somebody who is going on in Jesus and is growing on and being transformed into Christ's likeness is that we are thankful. There is, an asp- there is, something gr- about, there is gratitude in our heart. It's a great leveler is gratitude. You know, you may have been a Christian a long time, you know, and there have been seasons in my life, not too recently, I'm grateful and thankful to say, but there have been seasons where I thought I knew it all. Oh, yeah, been there, done that, I know how to do this, da-da-da-da. And, and sometimes Christians get a little bit like that. In fact, sometimes we're accused of just being know-it-alls, dogmatic know-it-alls. But you know what? The thing about being grateful and reminding ourselves of where we've come from and what God has done for us and what God has done for us this week or this day is that it reminds us of our place and our place of dependency. Uh, We need to lean back into Christ. We need to invoke and ask for the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. And somehow it kind of recalibrates us, kind of sets us aright. You know, like most homes these days, we've got two or three computers at home. I mean, my wife's on the, her iPad doing her Christmas shopping even now. Uh, oh, sorry, no. Oh, I see, you're taking notes. Right, fine, okay, good. Um, you know, we have all these things, and we're always, I'm, I, I, it's almost an obsession. I'm always pulling my iPhone out, and I'm doing things and checking this and checking that. And our computers at home, we've got one or two slightly older Apple Macs, and, and they get a bit kind of frozen up. You know, if we've been going to a lot of websites, suddenly they start slowing down. And, and I don't know anything about computers, but I've, if it gets really bad, I know that if I just restart the computer, then it'll be fine. It kind of clears some of the old stuff out and, and the RAM memory or something. I don't know what it is, but it kicks off again, and it's fine. And what it actually does, it resets things, makes it new. It's kind of... Uh, just gives the computer a chance to sort of clear out some of that stuff that you're, you're not going to want now, and, and it kind of re- resets so you can restart and fill up some more stuff in there. Thankfulness and gratitude re- recalibrates us. It resets the clock, if you like, for us. It reminds us, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus and how many victories we may have had or whatever, it just reminds us, actually, that he is God and we are not. It puts us in a good place a good place to be, to be walking and learning. You know? And so gratitude is one of those wonderful hallmarks of, of the true Christian, someone who is, who is walking on with Jesus. And I, I can honestly say this in all humility, the more I know about myself, the more grateful I am to God because he's, he's had to do more in me than I think I thought at the beginning, you know. 
And it's a wonderful thing to keep in that place. So Paul prays this. He says, you know, may they bear fruit and above all be grateful. This is about healthy Christian living. Healthy Christian living. Then he goes on and, and, and he reminds us that, you know, whilst the, you know, where, where we've been and where we're going is exciting and, and you know, and, you know, who, <clears throat> and, and the fact that we're bearing fruit and that the gospel has a life of its own, all of this is upbuilding and exciting stuff, but then he really gets into the, the main thing. That the, the, he, he, he comes up with this wonderful hymn. It's the only word for it, really. Hymn to Christ. The supremacy of Christ. I was reading one of the commentaries on it this week and learned something I didn't know. It was always joy to learn something new. That actually in the Greek, there's a play on words that goes on throughout this, this, this passage about, about you know, uh, the headship of Christ. You know, he's the head of those who have been born again. He's the head of those who have been risen from the dead. He's the head of the church. He's the, and there's this kind of play on words which is lost in the English, but it's Paul is kind of chewing and savoring on the headship, the supremacy of Christ. The Greek reader would have loved it and swooned. I mean, like Shakespeare or something, no doubt. But, but absolutely permeated with truth. And we need to capture and recapture and recapture again a vision of who Christ is. This redeemer, savior, friend of ours, this one who has rescued us. And so I'm going to do what I do actually about once a year. I'm going to show you a little video clip now, and then we'll finish with some worship. It's only three minutes long. And, and it's a wonderful little, little demonstration, a wonderful affirmation of Christ the King. It was preached by a black preacher in 1976 called Dr. Lockyer, he was preaching at a, he was the pastor of a Baptist church in San Diego, but he was preaching at one of these great preaching conventions. Sounds like heaven to me, you may think it's hell, but these pre preaching conventions in the Baptist church, they, they would turn up on Friday night and then they would preach continuously for 48 hours, usually for about two hours. And there was no worship, no loo break, no nothing, you just had to slip out when you needed to. And they would just preach back to back, and they'd get all these sort of preachers in. And this old man got up, Dr. Lockyer, and he preached probably the shortest sermon of the day. We're going to just hear it. And three days later, bless his heart, he died. It's an extraordinary story. And if you like it, you can Google it, you can YouTube it. It's, it's gone viral, as they say. It's all over, all over the internet. And uh, enjoy it. I think we'll just stand while we respect God, show him respect, and listen to this wonderful Christian's affirmation of Christ the King. Thanks, guys.